Fusion. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well. My name is Jackie and I'm really glad to be here with you today and I'm really grateful that the weather settled so we could all gather today as well. Um, I'd like to invite you to stand and let's greet each other with the peace of Christ. As we gather back together, Lisa's going to share some scripture with us this morning. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 145. 
I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Let's worship together this morning. You are good, you are good, when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love, on display for all to see. You are light, you are light, when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. You are peace, you are peace, when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, in you death has lost its sting. And oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be. And nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world forever reign. You are more, you are more than my words will ever say. You are Lord, you are Lord, all creation will proclaim. You are here, you are here. In your presence I made whole. You are God, you are God. Of all else I'm letting go. And oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. And nothing compares. will sing no other name Jesus Jesus my heart will sing no other name but Jesus Jesus my heart will sing no other name but Jesus
Sorry, that was a struggle this morning. Good morning. 
My name is Dee Stahl, in case you're not sure who I am, and um, I have the privilege of um, coordinating missions here at Heart Awake, as well as I do congregational care, and I've been around um, for a bit, but this morning, I just have um, a little mission update for you that I wanted to share. Um, recently, uh, Heart Awake sent a team of about 11 people, I want to put my glasses on, to... Um, Greystones, Ireland, to hang out with Pastor Luke. And we had a fabulous time there. It was um, a great week of um, learning, of spiritual growth, um, and just and some fun, of course. We had some fun, because Luke is just fun, right? Anyway, <laughs> um, while we were there at the um, Nazarene Church, Hardawike um, has uh, financially... Uh, assisted for them to furnish some porta cabins, which um, are being used for children's ministry, that which also effectively over doubled their children's ministry space. They were using one classroom for all children that were older than nursery age, and a small little, I dare call it a closet for the nursery. And um, so we furnished two uh, porta cabins for them, um, and. If you uh, ever need anybody to put together some IKEA furniture, you should contact Brooke Ventil or Deb um, Whitbeck. They're fabulous at um, putting together a lot of IKEA furniture. Um, and they, the Nazarene Church, Luke and the kiddos, um, provided us a little video. I mean, don't blink, little video. Here you go. So all the, the fun little furniture you saw in those spaces, um, our team got to put together. Again, Deb Whitbeck. This is Deb Whitbeck, and she um, is fabulous at it, as well as Brooke Ventil. They spent, we all spent, but they mostly spent hours assembling the furniture that you saw in those spaces. Um, so anyway, uh, this trip was much different than uh, our uh typical, I guess you would say, mission trips. We often uh, go on build trips when we go to the Dominican or to Honduras and places like that. This trip we were calling a serve and learn trip. Um, so we were able to serve the Nazarene Church as a group um, and as a church, um, but we also spent some time uh, with Luke and with other members of their congregation doing some learning. So um, Be uh, Deb's going to talk to us a little bit about that. Um, was there anything that you really learned that really stuck with you about Christianity, about uh, in the Ireland, in Ireland, and in the culture, different culture than here? Certainly. The Nazarene Church looks a whole lot like this one. It's a huge open space that they break down and put up for meals and for moms and kids and things like that. Um, it's ecumenical. It seems to have four or five different ministers. We had a couple of sessions there that were well thought of, and the people there were very entertaining and hospitable and wonderful to us. So um, we had a week there. We had several different learning sessions, like you just mentioned, um, did some traveling. What would you say was maybe your most specific God moment or moments? Those of you that have been going here a while know Luke well. He planned for us, we were his pilot group, to take a trip 
um, through four parts of the Bible. So we physically drove over to the west part of Ireland toward the Atlantic coast. And we started at a mountain range called the Twelve Bins. He took us to the top and read a verse, and that was, we, we thought about the creation. Then we, took, we went down the mountain to a, a closed, used to be Irish um, Catholic boys' home. It was scandalized when it came out with how the boys were being abused. And we walked through the cemetery and cried over the memorials. That was the fall. Then we went to a nunnery. A wealthy man had built this for his wife who then passed away, and he donated it to the nuns, and they're making great use of it. They had a cathedral with an east wall and a suspended Christ where you could see the holes in his arms. And that was, of course, the resurrection. And again, Luke read a passage. Our final trip was to the Atlantic, where most of us were reborn by taking a dip in the ocean. Some of us abstained. I'm sorry I did. If I were to go, I would go in the water. <laughs> so you would encourage other people to do this if it, when, yes. not if, when we have another opportunity. It was amazing. I loved all the places we visit, but that one day where Luke led us through those four things, it was incredible. Thanks, Debbie. Um, so, of course, if you have any um, further questions about um, our trip to Ireland uh, or what that might look like to do another trip like that, please please see me or speak with um, Debbie or any of the other people that were on the trip um, because it was an amazing experience and I know that any one of them will share, uh, be happy to share what their experience was. Um, and while I am up here talking about um, missions, I just want to let you know that right now we are recruiting for another trip that will be a build trip, not to Ireland, to the Dominican Republic. Um, that's coming up quite quickly, though. We'll be going uh, in February, February 19 to 27, and uh, also need a very quick response and commitment by uh, next week, Friday. So if you have any questions about that or would like to be involved with it, please contact me. You can email me at my Hardawake address, and I'm happy to talk to you about that. Um, I think now it's time to dismiss the kiddos. So if you are going to children's ministry today, you can uh, meet Miss Janet over at the door over here, and we'll do our blessing. You might have to remind me what your blessing is for the kiddos. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let's bless our children. The Lord be with you. <laughs> All right. Have fun, guys. <laughs> and with that, I'll ask you to pray with me this morning. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Hear these words from Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good 
His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures all generations. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather here for worship as one body of believers. And after a few days of uh, winter weather that uh, can be beautiful but also dangerous <laughs> and cold and windy, we're grateful to be safe and warm in this place to worship and to fellowship with those around us. Thank you that your love for us is so great and so wide and your faithfulness toward us endures forever. Thank you for the gift of your son and for the hope of the gospel. Lord, we pray that each person who joins in worship with us today is encouraged by your loving presence. And Father, we pray that because of your love and faithfulness, we'll choose to serve others in a way that continues to grow your kingdom. Your kingdom right here in our own neighborhood, but also your kingdom throughout the world in Honduras, in the Dominican Republic, in Nigeria, in Jamaica, through Neighbors Plus and Mika's Lunch, and of course in Greystones, Ireland. We thank you for the opportunity to have just had people with feet on the ground serving with Pastor Luke at the Nazarene Church. Open doors wide for our missionaries across the world to share the good news about your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we enter this season of Thanksgiving and this season of Christmas, we're reminded of how much you've given us, the gift of generosity, and another way that we can grow your kingdom with our finances as we do with our time and service. Help each of us to use our resources in a way that is glorifying to you. Lord, I just mentioned that we're entering the season of uh, Thanksgiving and of Christmas. And while we remember how much you have given us, your very son, that we might have eternal life and a reason to celebrate, for some, they're experiencing profound loss in this season. The loss of a loved one, or their spouse, a child, a parent, or a friend. And whether this is a year of firsts for them, or year two, or year three, or four. Each is experiencing tough emotions that are hard in this season that focuses on family and traditions and events and good cheer. We thank you for the 11 individuals who attended, attended our Surviving the Holidays event yesterday. We pray that they were encouraged by the moments shared together and that they left with a measure of peace and assurance and a few tools to enable them to survive the coming holidays. This morning, we think also of those in our community who are struggling with health issues, those who are preparing or recovering from surgeries or going through prolonged treatments. And we remember also the caregivers in these situations. Lord, we know you are a God of compassion. Please lift each of these people in your strong arms. Give them the reassurance that you've got this, that you can carry their heavy load, and that they need not worry, but instead concentrate on staying in step with you as they journey in their individual circumstances. Lord, I pray for our pastors here at Heart Awake this morning. Remind them daily that you are with them to grant strength and courage during stressful or trying times in life. Build a hedge of protection around them to keep them from discouragement of everyday circumstances. Bless them with your amazing gifts of love and grace. We pray that JB's message today has your stamp of approval 
and resonates perfectly with all of us who are in need of a Savior, your Son, who died for us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Dee. And good morning, Fusion family. Good morning, good morning. I think we're good there, yeah. It is, uh, it is indeed a good morning. It is uh, Christ the King Sunday, um, for those who are following the liturgical calendar. And Christ the King Sunday marks the, uh, the last Sunday before Advent. Seems like it's coming quick. Amen? Yeah. And uh, so today we are actually starting a new sermon series that kind of leads into Advent. Uh, part of the story, but we've kind of been splitting up the story into these mini-series. And our mini-series is called A King is Coming, an appropriate beginning to that series. It's going to carry us through Advent, through Christmas. And uh, today we, we shift our focus from Saul last week, if you remember, to King David. And of course, it's out of the line of David that we remember. We're going to step into Advent and kind of step away from the story for a few weeks, in a couple weeks. And we're going to look at how the, test, the uh, prophecies of the Old Testament point to a Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come uh, 2,000 years ago. We remember that. Real quick, uh, before we jump back into our series today, just a reminder we have the, the Thanksgiving bags. Uh, we have a little announcement up there. If you didn't get one of those bags, we can get you one of those bags. But this is a collection uh, for items for a couple of area ministries, my brother's house, my sister's house, and our neighbor's plus food uh, market, our household item market. Uh, we are collecting those on Thursday, the first opportunity. Well, you can bring them anytime. There's already some lining the, the hallway there. But we, are, we will be collecting them during the Thanksgiving service in the sanctuary, Thanksgiving morning at 10 a.m. So you can bring them to that service or uh, Sunday or at least by November 28th. And last week we talked a little bit about how these, this is one of those special opportunities uh, to experience and to practice generosity. And uh, of course, we also want to just continue to practice generosity weekly and in our everyday lives as well. If you are not on the email list, uh, we there's an email list. Get on the email list. We've been talking about something called Advent Conspiracy. How many of you are familiar with Advent Conspiracy? It was new to me, but it's something that we've done in, in this church uh, years ago. And the idea with Advent Conspiracy is to kind of shift the focus. Consumerism and all the busy uh, busyness of the holidays have kind of overtaken the holiday season. Can I get an amen there? And so this is like an intentional way of shifting the focus away from that consumerism. And so the email this week was about worship and stepping out of the busyness. And so just get on that email list. If, if you'd like uh, to contact the office, we'll be happy to get you on that. Take a deep breath and we dive back in. Last week we remembered uh, how the nation of Israel became a monarchy ruled by a king. If you remember last week, uh, we began kind of three weeks in the book of First and Second Samuel. It was one book that was split into two because of its length. And last week we looked at chapter 8 where Israel, uh, the, ga- the elders of Israel gathered together before Samuel and they said, we want a king like the other nations have. And, and Samuel gave them the warnings from the Lord of where this would lead and yet they still wanted their king, and they got their king in King Saul. And we talked a little bit about who King Saul was and how he was really looked like the nations around them. This week, uh, we step in out of Saul's kind of kind of arc, and we step into David's arc, uh, kind of the graphic there. And so we're going to be stepping in at First Samuel 16, which is right when Saul begins to his descent 
and David begins his rise. And we're going to talk about King David. And we're going to be surveying these chapters from chapter 16 through about chapter 10 of the second book of Samuel, highlighting a few accounts of David's life to help give some color and some shape uh, to this shepherd king and particularly his heart. We're going to be talking about the heart of David. Now, in case you're wondering, are we going to just kind of gloss over some of David's failures? No, we're going to get to David's descent, his failures next week. Uh, But this week, we're really going to focus on the heart of David. uh, And we're going to do that by beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 16. At this point in the story, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Saul has been rejected. Samuel is grieving over this loss. And we step in to some words uh, from the Lord to Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you're willing If you're able, uh, would you please stand as we honor God, as God speaks to us through his word. This is the anointing of David when David is introduced. And then we'll look at some other accounts from David's life. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. We jump ahead to verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived to Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you once again for your word. And we pray, Spirit, that, that you would open our hearts. We know you are here. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to, to hear from you. That we might be challenged and encouraged all so that we would more and more be formed in the likeness of our Lord, our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. So how is your heart? 
How is your heart? You know, in a modern sense, that question might refer to our physical hearts, the physical organ inside of our chests. Um, there's a, many different diagnostics and metrics that keep track of our heart health. I'm wearing a little watch that tells me my heart rate. And, and, and so all of these different things that give us information to, to, to answer that question, how is my heart? But I think what we all know is that question can also be answered in a different, set, a different sense, right? The word heart, even in our modern culture, can, can describe a broad range of things. Our, our well-being, we'd say, how is your heart? Our emotions, how is your heart? Our character or our temperament, etc., etc. So I ask the question again, how, how, is, how is your heart or how is our heart? And we ask that question collectively and, and, and what we see from a variety of different metrics, data points, surveys, uh, different statistics, what we see is that the data that we have shows, as a nation particularly, that our collective hearts, as a people in this country, are struggling. The metrics and the data consistently show that people overall in our nation are more anxious more lonely, more selfish, more angry, more vindictive than we were even a decade ago. I read reports and looked at different graphs and there were many graphs and I didn't know which one. There's just one of the many graphs that show different rates of increased anxiety and depression. There's a quote from the Surgeon General's report just last year that said, just for high school students as a sampling, persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness have increased by 40% in the last 10 years. The data, the metrics, the surveys that are being done are not very promising. And when we bring this to a more personal level, how is my heart? How am I doing? How is my heart? How, am I, how is my well-being? How is my attitude? How am I growing in, or declining in character, these are important, honest questions to have and to ask because the condition of our heart is, is critical. And, and I bring it up this morning because our, our passage this morning zeroes in and highlights on the importance of the heart, more in the metaphorical sense. I think we understand that. This morning, we're introduced to one of the most prominent people in the book of Samuel and actually the story of God's people, Scripture, David, the shepherd boy who would become king. And how, how are we introduced to the shepherd boy, David? Chapter 16, we're introduced to David uh, with this story of Samuel mourning over Saul's own demise. And God basically says, it's time to move forward, Samuel. Go to Bethlehem. There's a man there by the name of Jesse, and one of his sons will be the next king. You are to fill up a horn, and you are going to anoint his son with oil. And Samuel goes to Bethlehem, joined by Jesse and his sons for the sacrifice. And right away, Samuel's attention gets drawn to, to Jesse's eldest boy, Eliab, and thinks, Oh man, look at him. Certainly he is the one. He is the next king of Israel. But the Lord says, one of the more well-known passages in the Bible, and this, it's right on the screen. Do not consider his appearance or his height. Who does that make you think of? Saul from last week, right? For I've rejected him. 
The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This whole verse kind of sets up what's about to transpire in the chapters ahead, which will begin to contrast the difference between David, who would become king, and Saul, who is currently serving as king. The next verses and the next chapters set up this contrast between the shepherd boy, David, and King Saul, tall and handsome and mighty. Now remember last week, Saul was described as as tall and good-looking. It was part of his appeal to the people of Israel. He was a head taller than everyone else, and he was better looking than everyone else. That's what the book of Samuel tells us about King Saul. He he looked the part of king. He stands out. Now what's interesting is, is, is David, you notice he's not even invited to the anointing ceremony. There's a sacrifice happening, and 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 kind of in the same kind of stream of Cinderella. Right? Jesse doesn't even invite David to, to this anointing ceremony. He presents all of his other sons before Samuel to be anointed. But this youngest son of Jesse, David, the shepherd boy, is finally brought before Samuel, and immediately God says, that is the one. Anoint him as the next king. And he's anointed in the presence of his brothers, and the only thing, ironically, I don't know if you notice this, but the only thing we're told about David in chapter 16 have to do with his physical appearance. Did you notice that? He's also glowing with health, fine in appearance, handsome features. Well, thank you for those details. We're told about his outward appearance, which is kind of ironic because we've just been told that God looks at the heart. And I don't know about you, but because of this, what I think is happening here is it's a signal to us as the readers of Scripture or the hearers, the first people would be hearers of the word, to listen for the accounts coming ahead that will highlight David's heart and what makes David's heart different from everyone else, but particularly different from the current king, Saul. It's a signal. Listen for what I'm about to tell you about David, what makes his heart notable, what makes his heart stand out. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the, the accounts of David, a man after God's own heart. This morning what I want to do is just take a quick survey of the book of Samuel and into 2 Samuel. Consider how the scriptures might characterize and describe David's heart. What do these stories tell us about this man's heart who gets the unique distinction in the book of Acts as a man after God's own heart? What is it about David's life? What is it about David's testimony that gives him this unique distinction? For our purposes this morning, we're going to distill it down to three things. I mean, we could go on and on. But three, three things we're going to focus on is, is, is David's heart of service, his character that stands out, and finally his faith. And how those things are, distinguish him from his predecessor, Saul. So let's quickly get into it. First, David has a servant's heart. David has a servant's heart. Particularly in these early years, he exemplifies a heart that is, that is, that is bent towards service. Again, David is the youngest son of Jesse. When David is introduced, he's not even present at the sacrifice, right? What is he doing? He's out in the field serving his father, tending his father's sheep. And then David is anointed as the next king of Israel. And what does he do? He goes back to the field and continues serving in his father's fields, tending his father's sheep. 
What's interesting is in the very next story, immediately after this, the verse that follows, starting at verse 14, we're told that there, there were this interesting account of, of Saul who's being tormented by spirits. And, and one of his servants says, well, I know a guy who can play the lyre. The lyre, excuse me, it's the lyre, right? The lyre, the little guitar thing. David. He's like, there's this guy, David, and he can play the lyre. So, so Saul takes David into his uh, his, his house, and David begins soothing Saul by playing worship music on a lyre. And then we're told that not only is he serving Saul as this musician, but he's also serving Saul as his armor bearer. So what's interesting, by the time we get to the story of David and Goliath, which is just in the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're told David is splitting time between ser- serving his father in the fields while also serving King Saul in his courts. Even as David becomes king, what we see is this desire carry on in David's desire to serve the Lord and to serve those that he has in his care. He seems throughout his life to always remember these humble beginnings as a shepherd boy who's called to serve his father and to serve his king, a servant's heart. And this stands in stark contrast with Saul, as we remembered last week, who's always just constantly consumed with himself, right? That's part of the reason why Saul was such a terrible shepherd. We kind of hinted at that last week. We get this unique detail in chapters 9 and 10 where, where, where Saul is, 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 is overseeing his father's donkeys and he, he just misplaces them. And we get this weird detail that, that Saul has lost his father's donkeys. And why would we get that detail? And why does he lose his father's donkeys? Well, he's too consumed with his own needs, his own agenda, his own glory, that he can't keep track of the animals that are in his care. And this becomes foreshadowing that he's so consumed with himself that he can't keep track of the people that God has placed in his care. We have this contrast in the book of 1 Samuel between David, who's got a servant's heart, and Saul, who's got a heart that's obsessed with being served. Service. Second thing we learn about David, we begin to see in the narrative the character of David. The character of David's heart. Character that, that, that sets him apart. David, we see in, in the stories of, of David, a man of high character. In fact, in the, the most well-known story, David and Goliath, again, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we, we know this. We, this story is so familiar. He shows courage. He shows devotion to his people and to his king as he steps out onto the battlefield to face the mighty Goliath, right? Later on in 2 Samuel, uh, a lot transpires and, and Saul's trying to murder David. And, 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 and David, uh, though, makes this promise to Saul that he would take care of his descendants. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, David takes in Saul's grandson, Jonathan. Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Showing compassion, showing love to Saul's grandson, carrying on that line. But there's a story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 24 uh, that I think puts David's character on full display. It's, in fact, a story that, that's kind of repeated in chapter 26. David, again, is on the run. Saul is, is breathing murderous threats. He's try- he wants to kill David. He's chasing after David. David's fleeing with his men. David finds himself in this cave near En Gedi. If you've ever been to Israel, En Gedi is a place you want to visit. But there's these cave systems where the, kind of the dead, dead Sea Scrolls are kind of in a similar area along the Dead Sea. Um, but there's these caves, and so David and his men are hiding out in these caves. 
And the Lord leads Saul to the very cave that David and his men are hiding out and Saul has no idea. And David's men are like, now's your chance. This King Saul, this Saul who's trying to kill you is susceptible. He's vulnerable. You can kill him. And David sneaks up. He doesn't kill him, but he, he cuts off a corner of, of Saul's robe um, while Saul's re- relieving himself. That's just a detail. The scripture is very real, right? And, and he feels guilty about it. He feels terrible about it. But then he, he shows Saul that he could have killed him, but he didn't. And in, a, in this stark contrast, Saul is, 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 he's realizes the mercy in this moment of David. He realizes that he could have been killed by this man he's been trying to kill for, for a long while now. And he acknowledges in this, in chapter 24, that David is more righteous than himself. And throughout this account, Saul is constantly trying to kill David. And David is constantly showing mercy and respect and honor to the one who currently serves as his king. Their character is just in stark contrast throughout these chapters of 1 Samuel. We have David, who's a man of integrity, love, and honor. And that just stands in contrast with Saul, who at this point in his journey, he lacks integrity, he's jealous, he's, he's insecure, and he's trying to murder David, who he sees as a threat. Character. You see the contrast. Service, character, the third, and maybe most important one, faith. What stands out most in David is his faith. A heart, as described in the book of Acts, that is for the Lord. A heart after God's own heart. David, we see David's faith on display most notably, again, in the story of of David and Goliath. Uh, David has courage, right? David, David even has the refined skills of a shepherd. Now, you could do multiple sermons on David and Goliath. In fact, if you want to hear a sermon that's more focused on David and Goliath, tune into Watershed. Pastor Aaron's preaching Uh, on David and Goliath and just drawing out all of these contrasts between Saul and David. Fascinating. Uh, Here's just one. Do you remember last week, uh, we were talking about Saul, and in verse 20, the people, after they're they're given the warning, and they say, no, we want a king like the other nations have, and they say, we want a king who will go into battle for us, who will win victories for us. In the story of David and Goliath, Saul has his chance to live into that. Because it was Saul, who's a head taller than everyone else, who's better looking than everyone else, he's the one who's supposed to be going into battle against Goliath. All these different stark contrasts. But instead, it's David who faces Goliath. And he has skills, like he can whip a sling around, he's got courage, but what gives David the confidence to face Goliath? It's, it's his faith in the Lord. His confidence is not in himself, it is in the Lord. In fact, in 1 Samuel 17, these these stunning words that he declares to Goliath, listen to them. You come against me, David says to Goliath, with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the, car- give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And listen to this. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
It's not about David's glory. It's about the glory of God. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Do you notice where the focus is for David? It's not on himself. It's on God. Confidence in the power of God and a desire to bring glory to God among the nations. And this heart for the Lord continues even into David's story as he becomes king. In 2 Samuel chapters 5 through 7, uh, we get this account of David. He establishes a new capital of the nation of Israel. It wasn't always Jerusalem, but David's the one who establishes the capital, both civic and religious capital center of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. That's why Jerusalem's called the city of David, right? And so David wants to, in this, in this passage in chapter 7, as, as the ark comes in and this new city of Jerusalem's established, what, is, what does David say? David says to, to the Lord, he says, here I am living in a house of cedar and you're still dwelling in a tent. Let me build a temple for you. Do you see that posture? Lord, you need to have more than what I have, this heart for the Lord. And of, of course, David's not the one who builds the temple. He's got blood on his, but anyway, he's got blood on his hands. Solomon will later build the temple. But this desire for the Lord over and over throughout David's life, we see his faith, we see his heart for the Lord. And again, this stands in stark contrast with, with Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 18, this, right after the defeat of Goliath, the defeat of the Philistine armies, this interesting account where these women and, are, are, are offering praise and Saul overhears them. And this is what the women say. Saul has slain his thousands. Saul's probably like, that's pretty good, yeah. But then they say this, and David his tens of thousands. And at that moment, Saul becomes angry and jealous. Because it's not about the victory. It's not about the fact that the Israelite people have just been saved from the Philistine army who, who would have had this distinct advantage if they would have won that battle. No, because for Saul, it's all about himself and his own glory and his own honor. He becomes so angry. David is here playing his, his lyre for Saul, and he tries to kill him with a spear, as the Bible says, pinning him against the wall. He tries two different times, and David flees, and this begins this jealous uh, attack and murderous threats of Saul after David. Again, do you see the contrast? David, who has this heart for the Lord, stands in stark contrast with Saul, whose heart is simply for Saul, for himself. We read these accounts of David's life, we quickly begin to notice that there was something different about this man, and particularly something different about his heart worth noting. It was admirable. He had a heart of service. He had a heart, he had high character and integrity. And he was a man after God's own heart. Which begs the question, why such a difference between Saul and David's hearts? Why was there such this stark contrast between David and Saul? Which leads to, to the other part that I, I was pondering and just, just pondering this past week. As I, as I began to just dig in again to David's life and, and consider his, his life uh, ascent, really, what made his heart so noticeable? Certainly the Lord gets credit for forming his heart, but there was something else I noticed about David's life that I think is important and significant. And it was the role worship played throughout David's life. One of the other things that David's known for is a 
a life of worship. The psalm we read as our opener, Psalm 145, is a psalm of, of David, right? Throughout David's life, worship played a prominent role. A quick survey. A quick survey, the place of worship in David's life. Again, David was a musician. We talked about that. He played the, the lyre, a little guitar-like instrument, 10 strings. In fact, almost half of, not only that, but almost half of the psalms, 73 psalms are attributed to David. So the song book, the worship book, the prayer book of Scripture, almost half of those psalms are attributed to David, who's a man of worship. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, we have a record after Saul uh, dies, after Jonathan dies, his best friend. We have a record of David's lament. What is lament? It's worship. It's honest prayers to the Lord. The Psalms, filled with psalms of thanksgiving, filled with psalms of lament, as next week we'll see, filled with songs of confession, worship. And then when the ark is brought into Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6, we, we have this uh, kind of fun story of, of the ark being brought into Jerusalem. Do you remember this story? And, and David's so excited about the ark of the covenant, the presence of God entering into Jerusalem. What does he do? He strips down into his undergarments, right? And he starts dancing in the streets, leaping and dancing. Like, that's a picture of a Christian Reformed church, right? No, no, not really. But he's, when he's criticized, when he said, I'll become even more undignified than this, this is a man whose heart longs for the Lord and he expresses it in worship and prayer. And finally, now we just have to use a little bit of our imagination, but remember where David began as a shepherd boy. How many nights, how many days did, did David spend tending the sheep? How many nights did, did David sit under a beautiful night sky by himself with nothing but his own thoughts and his heart and his mind and the Lord to keep him company? I can't help but imagine how those times as a shepherd boy under the night stars must have been formative and worshipful, creating a heart in this young boy that would prepare him for what God had in store later in his life. See, I don't think it's coincidence that worship was so central to David's life because worship is formational. Worship forms the heart. David's heart was, was for the Lord. And this compelled David to worship. And I believe that David's worship increasingly moved his heart to be for the Lord. Do you see how that kind of becomes this circular pattern? A heart for the Lord which compels someone to worship and to pray to the Lord. And that begins to form the heart which compels you to worship uh, right, and continues to form a heart that's for the Lord. There's this, there's this circular pattern in worship because worship is about the Lord, yes, and worship forms the heart of the worshiper. My guess is many of us have experienced this on some level. A song may be here on a Sunday morning and, and the melody or the harmonies or the lyrics of that song just minister to your heart in a way that brings a sense of peace, maybe in a season of turmoil. 
maybe the reality of the gospel just hits you because of lyrics of a song and you're just overcome with emotion, gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf or maybe just a prayer time at home in the quiet. And during that prayer time when you're able to step away from the chaos of life and you just calm your heart in that quiet, suddenly, at least for a moment, the anxieties and the worries of life begin to quiet down. Or how about this? Someone's hurt you and the Lord compels you, maybe through the words of Jesus who says, pray for your enemies and you begin to pray for that person who's hurt you and you pray that they would experience the Lord and as you pray for that person, the anger, the contempt begins to slowly melt away, maybe just for a moment. Prayer and worship forms the heart. And I think prayer and worship kept David grounded throughout his life. I think prayer and worship kept David humble through most of his life. Helped remind David that it was not about David, but this was about the Lord and the glory of the Lord. Prayer and worship continued to build the character of God in the life of his servant David. And friends, that's where I want to just land this morning. Because we got a lot of data, we got a lot of surveys, we got a lot of metrics, right? Showing that anxiety and loneliness and anger and selfishness, they're all on the rise in our culture. We have a lot of data, we have a lot of metrics and surveys that, that people's empathy, people's compassion, and people's character are all in decline. And, and we can look at surveys, we can look at data points, but I think we can also just look at our own experience of life in this world, and we can say, I, I think I kind of see that. And maybe one of the most sobering things about this, this fact that we are increasingly becoming more anxious and less kind as a country, as a nation, as a world maybe, one of the most sobering facts is I, I, I don't think Christians or the church are exempt. I think we're right in there with everyone else. Now, many of the studies and articles that are coming out more recently are trying to determine what is the cause of this, and many of them point to the correlation of the use of the smartphone and social media apps and these troubling trends that we are, we are just consumed with these devices and all that, and I'm not going to deny the connection. I'm not an expert in this, but I think there's something else that correlates with the increased use of our smartphones, social media apps, and media, particularly for those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. Those of us who claim to be Christians, right? It's a word for us. Because here's the thing. If, if we are more and more being consumed by our tech, our time and our attention, if more time and attention we're giving to our phones and the 24-hour news cycle and blogs and social media and videos and Netflix and sports, etc., etc., I could run out of breath all the things that consume our time and energy. If all of our time is being consumed by this, what do we have less time for? Prayer. Worship, being in God's word, spending time in community with other believers. Just a personal confession, when I, when I consider how much time I spend on Netflix, TV, sports, honest, honesty moment, the Packers stink, so that's going to help. I won't be consumed by that as much. But the time I spend on YouTube and Facebook and just wasting time and I compare that to the amount of time I spend each week in prayer, 
in the scripture, in study, in worship, just time with Jesus in the quiet. It makes me begin to wonder, what's actually forming me? What's actually discipling me? What's forming my heart and my character? Is it Jesus? Or am I letting something else have more influence in my life than it really should? Here's one thing I know. It's kind of a funny fact on the, fo- on the bottom of the screen, but David, while he was in the field tending the sheep, I know this for certain. He did not have an iPhone. <laughs> he was not able to just scroll through the late, no. And I think there's a gift in that because he was able to pay attention to the glory of God that was all around him. Back to the question, how is my heart? I think about, I think about my own life and in the last couple of weeks, you know, I've been carrying a little more anxiety, been feeling a little more sadness, feeling a little more spiritually dry, and I don't think it's an accident that there's a correlation to my prayer life. And I, and I try to receive that not as condemnation or guilt, but just reality, because God has something better for me. Because here's what I believe. I believe prayer forms the heart. I believe the more time I spend with Jesus, the more like Jesus I will become. I believe the more my heart is postured in worship and praise and thanks to God, the more my heart will be shaped to reflect the humility, the love, the grace of Jesus Christ. And that personal time with Jesus is so important, but there's one other thing I want to talk about. And it's what we're doing right here in this moment. Because there's the personal and there's the individual, but there's also the communal time. And I, I, we, can't, we can't undersell that. Friends, in communal worship, we offer our hearts to God so that God can also form our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's something significant about taking an hour, just an hour, an hour and a half, or however, however long you stay for donuts. I don't know what that is but on a Sunday morning and saying, this is going to be a priority for me and my family. And we're going to take this time because it's important and because God is, is doing something. And I know there's different circumstances, and, and I get that. I know that. But to make a priority, not just Sunday worship, but other opportunities to be with God's people, to pray together, to learn together, to make that a, a, an integral part of our, our time as a family in our homes. Being together as God's people, praying together, singing together, laughing together, crying together, for goodness sakes, partaking together. There is something transcendent in this moment of God breaking into our reality. And is there something notable that we notice every time we gather? No, but when we position ourselves, maybe it's today. Friends, that leads us to what we're going to be doing in just a few moments. We're going to gather around, around this table, the Lord's table. It's one of those practices of worship when we believe that the Spirit is present and powerful in a unique way. In communion, we come before our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are here because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We remember the story of Jesus Christ that shapes our story and it is a story of grace. We remember on this Christ the King Sunday that that Christ the King came into this world 
And he lived differently than most other kings. All other kings have ever lived, right? A king who showed us the perfect example of a heart that longs for the Lord. It was a heart of service. A heart that was compelled by love to willingly lay down his own life. Jesus Christ did that. Dying on the cross so that we might know life with him both now and forevermore. And so friends, we, we gather, we come to the table of the Lord to remember this story, this gospel, this good news, and we trust that in partaking, the Spirit will begin to form our hearts more and more into the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I invite you to pray with me as our worship team comes forward. Lord God, we thank you We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, as we learned last week that we serve a king, King Jesus. Who lived a life, a life and, and, and showed character and, and lived a life of peace and grace and love in ways that that are an example and a model to us. We thank you, Lord, that we gather around this table to remember, Lord Jesus, that your body, your blood was shed for forgiveness of our sins. That, Lord, this good news reminds us that, Lord Jesus, you laid down your life, opening a way for us to be in communion with our Heavenly Father, with one another. And, Lord, that this table spans all differences that we might hold, but we are united by our shared love of Jesus Christ who was our Lord and Savior, who gave his life so that we might experience life both now and forevermore. So Lord, as we come forward, as we partake, Spirit, meet us in this moment. Remind us in powerful ways of your love for each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few words of instruction as we prepare to partake together. We have two stations up front. Uh, when you're ready, after our servers are prepared, I invite you to make your way to the, to the side center aisles. And so middle go this way, and we'll make one line coming this way. Move to the outside, partake. There's a trash can to, to dispose of the cup, and uh, you'll be handed a piece of bread. We've been doing this for a little while. Does it make sense? Got to get the instructions right. But as you, as you do that, remember the events of that final night of Jesus with his disciples. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, let me get a, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for a forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. We come remembering that the body of Christ 
And the blood of Christ was given for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Come, for all things are now ready. Invite the servers to come first. And as we sing, as you feel compelled, come and receive.
voice as you wait for the crowd. Tell the world of the treasure you found. I invite you to stand as you're able and let's unite our voices as one in praise before we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. voices. I just had to let that. Um, early on in the early church, the communion was accompanied by a love feast, a meal. We don't have that, but we have donuts. So you're invited to join with uh, after the service for donuts. Carry on community. This is such a gift from God. Uh, if you have young kids or not, if you want to just come hang out this afternoon from 3 to 5, there's going to be a family activity uh, right here in the great room. Ice cream Sundays, Thanksgiving crafts, I think a movie as well. Uh, come join for some extended time of fellowship. I don't know about you, we were singing the, the song during communion of come to this, this, God, this image of Jesus with arms wide open offering an invitation to come. And I guess that's the image I just want to leave you with, that, that Jesus is waiting for us to come into his arms, to be with him. And uh, no matter what you're feeling, as Dee beautifully prayed, some of us are excited about Thanksgiving, some of us are, are nervous or dreading it. There is space in the arms of Jesus for you to come, to be held, to experience his grace and love. So that we do that as a community, we do that as individuals because God is good. And as we go from here, receive God's blessing. And if you'd like to just hold your hand out to, as an act of receiving a blessing that doesn't come from me but comes from, from God, our Lord Jesus Christ, receive it. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. God's people say, amen.